the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Planted. I am Sarah Pion, your host, and today I have one of my favorite people on the episode. I'm really excited to have Rachel Burkhans on today. She is a culinary cannabis entrepreneur, writer, and content creator with more than a decade of experience working in the wine and spirits industry. Rachel focuses on cannabis beverages and hospitality experiences as a way to normalize and educate and elevate. She's a co-founder of the Cannabis hospitality group Altered Plates and is the founder of cannabis lifestyle brand Smoke Sip Saver, which is actually where I first saw her. And I was just, I was taken by just the wonderful way she approaches cannabis and her creative educational way she talks about it. Uh, Look for more upcoming culinary cannabis projects from her in 2022. And that's actually why we have her on the show today. I'm so excited. Rachel, welcome. Thank you so much. What a warm, wonderful introduction and greeting. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you today, Sarah. Oh, I'm so excited too. We <laughs> we admired each other from afar on social media and the first time yep. that we talked, we I'm so excited. We each other's DMs. Yeah. <laughs> Which is how it should be. You know, that's social media has its drawbacks, but one of the wonderful things is that we get to meet people that don't necessarily live near us, although you're not too far away. No, I'm just down in LA and it sometimes seems very far away from the Northern California Bay Area community, but um, I think now that we're getting back out there and doing events again, we're going to have a lot more excuses to get together, and that's my favorite part. I yeah. love getting to know people um, virtually, but over the past few months, getting to see people in person, it's like a totally different experience. Yeah, it is. It was uh, That was um, Hall of Flowers was my first California event coming out after the pandemic. I did a little traveling for work, but uh, it was just so nice to see your face. Yes. Yeah. Well, of course, that's where we met in person for the first time. And I met a lot of people that I've been communicating with just over Instagram or email or LinkedIn or whatever for the first time. And it's like, oh, you're taller or whatever. Uh, People have a very different energy. So it's such a different different kind of connection you can build with people in person, but you and I connected instantaneously um, on our on our phone calls, really, because I think we share such passions for education and normalization through education and all of the work there is to be done around that in cannabis. And you have been such a wonderful leader in um, that movement. So thank you for oh. everything you've done. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I, I, I love the work. I love the work. Um, all right, I'm going to ask you a question that I always ask my guests, if you're comfortable okay. answering it, because if you're not, that's okay, too. <laughs> but I will probably answer it. I, I am an open book usually, so <laughs> I, I say usually just in case, but I have a feeling I'll say I've got an answer coming for you. <laughs> I figured as much, but I always want to preface it with that. Um, what was your first cannabis experience? You know, that is um, such a funny question because it really uh, speaks so much to my current cannabis business and, and my career in cannabis. So uh, I my first cannabis experience was with my younger brother, Holden, who is my business partner in our company, Altered Place. Um, and yes, I said younger. We were teenagers and he was, I think, gosh, 14 maybe. And 
I was 16 and we were in our parents' backyard and he and his friends were much more experienced <laughs> than I was. And um, my friends and I were usually just trying to sneak some sort of whiskey or something from uh, my parents' cabinet. So that was my first experience. And, you know, it's kind of funny to look forward all these years later and now we're in the cannabis business together, me and my brother. So, um, yeah, I, I had a late blossoming to cannabis. That was a, an early experience but that I didn't really fall in love with the plant um, until I was in my early 20s. Oh, okay. And I know that you, you've done a lot of work with hospitality and food and drink. What, what drew you to making the leap into cannabis? You know, um, that is another funny question because for me, all of these things are so full circle in my life personally. Um, I spent 12 years in the wine and spirits industry, partly um, because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life initially. Um, and, and then it was an industry that I also fell in love with. And I really began to, I was very fortunate to have the experience to work with people across every level of the industry. So winemakers, sommeliers, chefs. And you get to see the passion that these people have for creating an experience and presenting a product in a really educational and beautiful and hospitality-led way. So I saw this across every corner of the hospitality industry for 12 years through my role at a magazine company that printed uh, two publications for the Wine and Spirits Trade, called the Tasting Panel and the Psalm Journal. And I was there for a very long time. And when we launched a third publication in 2015 called The Clever Root, whose um, goal and ethos was to bring cannabis into that conversation and make it a part of the story of hospitality and everything that grows and connecting the tissue between what's happening with a winemaker and a cannabis cultivator and how they're really not so different after all. Um, so that was the, the Clever Roots ethos. And um, I went up to Humboldt with my brother Holden and we took a road trip and we went to the Golden Tarp Awards which was a light deprivation cannabis competition, super cool. I think this was late 2015. And we began to realize, oh my goodness, there is a industry around cannabis here. There are people talking about cannabis like wine. There are people talking about appellations for cannabis. It was really eye-opening. It was really interesting to see. So on that um, drive back, Holden and I had a lot of joints <laughs> standing <laughs> in Men's Redwoods and and had a lot of conversations about what it would be like to bring um, hospitality into cannabis. So basically, our business, Altered Plates, was born on that road trip. And um, what the very exciting announcement is, I'm just going to go into it now because it's sort of full circle, is I will be relaunching the Clever Root um, early next year. And I'm very excited because it's such an important piece of my personal story to coming to the cannabis space. It's what really opened my eyes and started getting me to talk to these people and understand that there are so many people who are approaching cannabis as a product of the earth and sun-grown cannabis and all of the things that I cared about. Um, so I'm very excited to bring that back and, and of course, connect it all to food and wine and beverage and hospitality. So I'm going to share a lot more on that. But it wasn't really a hard leap for me to make because I'm still creating the same experiences. It's all the same lens for me of hospitality and, you know, creating a moment uh, through food and the experience that you can have and through that connection and how powerful that is. So it's all one and the same for me. And that's what's so exciting. Congratulations. That's awesome. I, I just, I, I think I'm 
I'm just so excited to see with publications, like the different publications that we have around cannabis and how it's evolving. And I don't know. And this is and and I and I'm going to preface this with this is not this is not making stoner culture less than it's a very important integral part of of the industry and the movement in the past in the present and going into the future because we all have our own style of approaching cannabis but i really like that we're starting to see things that are more i'm not going to say grown up because there's a lot of grown up stoners out there that have fun <laughs> <laughs> but maybe a little bit more yeah. refined well and you know i think it's also really important to remember that, uh, you know, this is an industry. This is becoming something that is speaking to an entire new consumer and finding a, a way to bring those people in and help them understand where they fit in in the cannabis ecosystem and what types of products they can find that are aligned with the values they have in food and in wine and by being able to kind of meet them where they are. I think is really going to be valuable as we move forward. So it's, I agree with you. It's not at all about moving away from something or separating from anything. It's just that, you know, like anything, there's going to be something for everyone. And yeah. this is where I want to be connecting with the people who are going to want to go do the same things I want to do anyway, who want to go have a great dinner on the town, who care about cool chef new restaurants. You know, like if you're into all that stuff, then here's the products and the people and the places and cannabis that are in that same world and ecosystem because, you know, there is, there's something for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that there are more opportunities for people to find resonance within the industry to what they relate to. And that's, that is exactly like what you said, like hitting the nail on the head. There's no, there's no good or bad on any of the avenues in cannabis culture. It's just what resonates for you. And, and, you know, going back to when you were talking about wine, cause Jeff and I have a lot of friends in the wine industry and um what was it? Oh, the first year of planted. I had Phil Katuri on the podcast and you know he's the New York Times dubbed him the Wizard of Green because he was like one of the first big you know organic biodynamic grape growers and he does a lot of a lot of the grapes up in Sonoma County and he's he also for his own personal use, grow some really fine bud. <laughs> and every time we... You know, hmm. it, it's, not, it's, it's more common than you think. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, that's it. That's actually the conversation that we had. He's like, no, you know, when we, we talk about, like, it's funny because there's, I think some people like like building up the drama between, like, the wine industry and cannabis and you know, talking to friends that are growers and winemakers and they're like, y you know, almost everybody I know who grows grapes has, has grown cannabis too. Like at the end of a row, you know, not of course on the, the, the crops <laughs> right on the, the street level, but you know, <laughs> up in the hills, there's usually Absolutely. cannabis growth. That... You know, the winemakers are farmers. Cannabis, cannabis cultivators are farmers. These, these people live and grow in the same regions. Of course, there's going to be so much crossover there. I think when we 
think about and hear about, you know, industry pushback, I think that's coming more from, you know, the, the big corporate side and the branding side, wanting to make sure that these businesses are able to, you know, keep their consumer and, and, and have their space also as we move forward in the cannabis and wine industry. I mean, you know, the, as cannabis continues down its path of federal legalization, um, I think we're going to see a lot more of these already existing wine and spirits players stepping up more formally into the space. They're already maybe doing it behind the scenes. Um, and, you know, they want to be a part of that conversation and they want to be a part of that cash flow. So that's going to be another interesting piece to see and how it affects all of those things. So I think there's the, the holistic side and the, the side where we understand cannabis as an agricultural product, just like wine. Mm-hmm. And then there's the business side where we're going to, we're going to talk about things like distribution and we're going to wonder, okay, well, who is, positioned and ready to start distributing cannabis on a, on a national level, who has the ability to distribute large products like cannabis beverages, for example. It might be the, the large wine and spirits distributors. Um, so, you know, there's so much to explore there, too, as we approach um, future legalization. And that's more on the business side, but I think that it's also important to discuss. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is important to discuss. And I think... You know, another thing that's important to discuss is as we start seeing like larger companies, whether we're looking at, you know, multi-state operators or as we start to evolve into multinational operators, you know, what we need to remember because people are getting nervous when policies and states are coming up where they're not wanting people to grow on their own or, or it's been hard for smaller producers to survive that having the opportunity to grow your own cannabis or having the opportunity to be a small artisan grower or artisan edibles maker, what have you, is no threat to the industry at large. And actually it it enriches it. Right. Right. And you know what? It's, it's a, it's a patience, right? It's a plant. It's a plant that we should all have access to. Um, And not everyone wants to make their own edibles. That's fine. If you live in in a legal market and are able to, go through the, the paths of compliance to find something great, but not everyone has that opportunity right now. So there has to be a solution for everybody all over the place to have access and have what they need, whether that's recreationally, medically, or culinarily. You know, this, again, this touches people in so many different ways. Yeah, it, it sure does. And that's, that is, it is, there is no threat. I mean, it's just like, you know, people can bake bread at home. That doesn't necessarily mean right. they are, except from the beginning of a pandemic. <laughs> Except for when it's a TikTok trend, and then everyone has to do it. (laughs) Tell me, did you have a sourdough starter at home? (laughs) You know, I I did not go down that route. I think I was one of the very few people who didn't. I am, uh, as much as I love to cook and love hostessing, um, I am a horrific baker. Um, and I just, uh, I, I really, I'm, I'm more of an intuitive cook. I love to be experimentative. Um, and I find baking is very precise and, <laughs> and there's always so many dishes. So no, I did not do the sourdough starter. I also truly know when to leave that to the experts and Holden is a phenomenal bread baker. So, um, I will, uh, just leave the Burkhans family name uh, untarnished by letting his <laughs> reputation speak for both of us. <laughs> well, when you've got a good baker in the family, why why mess up a good thing? 
It's so true. I, I like cannot compete with him. And I think that's one of the, the funnier things that happens when I meet people for the first time. They're like, oh, yeah, Rachel, she's the um, she's the chef. Or sometimes we'll, people will call me a mixologist. And yes, I do a lot of recipe development and content creation around those things. But like, I always know when to leave it to the experts. And I, I think I know my brother is so talented. So I know he's the chef. No, no, no he's the chef. And I spent 12 years working in wine and spirits with like the best mixologists and saw the world's most talented sommeliers. So I'm always like, no, 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 no. Like talk to an expert. But if you want to talk to me about like culinary cannabis or cannabis culinary thought, like anything culinary cannabis, I will talk your ear off for 12 million hours because I have a lot to say. But I know when to also defer to the pros. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, of, culinary or maybe more edible cannabis when we were at hall of flowers there were a lot a lot of different things to see and a lot of really exciting interesting stuff what, what were some things that really that caught your eye that you were excited about that you saw oh my goodness so many things and to be honest i still have a whole pile of things that I have not even gotten to that I'm very excited to continue to explore. I know. And you know what? Like, I think that it's kind of great because, um, it's, it's going to remind me to continue to keep tabs on all of these exciting brands and categories because there was so much new stuff. Um, well, flower wise, and this is something I have spoken to so many people about. I was totally and absolutely in love with the Bohemian chemist. I don't know if you, had a chance to meet up with them, but they are so wonderful. They have a space called the Madrone Inn, and they're up in Mendocino, and they're doing beautiful sun-grown flour. It's super delicious and tasty. I'm looking forward to working with them more in the future because I just absolutely loved everything that they were doing. Um, and then I also was really impressed by all of the beverages. I love seeing the cannabis beverage category grow and expand. Um, and there were some new beverages, and there's also some new form factors coming with the um, with the powdered um, concepts that are designed to be dissolved into beverages. There's a, a swizzle stick called My High, and then there's a strain-specific powder called Purewana, and they actually have really interesting, and they taste very strain-specific. You can do a little tasting in water, really cool stuff. So. Um, seeing the innovation that's coming across the beverage category is always really exciting to me. Um, there was another beverage I liked called La Chronique. Um, it's exciting to see the, the cannabis wine category. We have the House of Saka. They have a rosé and a little mimosa called Spark. The Spark is super cute, super fun. It's like really tapping into, I think, what makes the beverage category so exciting is that it's um, it's meant for a moment. It's meant to live anywhere that you would have alcohol. Um, so being able to create experiences around cannabis has a really natural home through beverages. And the products that are coming out really reflect that. Um, Wonder is another one that I really like. And oh, I yeah. actually just recently, oh, it's so good. It's like just, it's not too sweet. It's got like this wonderful effervescence. Um, and I recently had the opportunity to um, work at the Cannabis Beverage Association happy hour in Las Vegas last week and we were sampling a bunch of different products and wonder, you know, so many people were interested in that and so many people loved seeing that because it's, it's not like a soda and they also have their higher vibes, which has 10 milligrams of Delta eight, 10 milligrams of Delta nine. So they're doing a little bit of a higher dose than you see 
in a lot of the more microdose-focused um, beverages. But I do think microdose beverages are also great because you do want that sessionability. Not everyone's going to want, you know, a 50-milligram experience. Some people might want to have 12 milligrams over the course of two hours, and beverages give you a really great opportunity to do that. Yeah, yeah, and it's nice to see uh, how it's evolved because – Especially with nano emulsions, I just remember back in the day <laughs> getting a, a beverage <laughs> mix, and it's like you've had this like sludge on the top, and you're holding your nose, and you're taste, you're drinking it down as fast as you can, and you're like, it is cocoa, it's really cocoa. I'm telling myself <laughs> this is cocoa, not pond scum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there definitely were some challenges before without being able to have a water dispersibility with the cannabinoids for sure and nano emulsion has totally helped that and of course in addition to just making it a more well emulsified product um, it has a more rapid onset so it increases the bioavailability has a more rapid onset and a shorter duration so it is a little bit more like beverage experience in the sense that you'll feel it really quickly but you can also kind of taper it off if you need to if you need to drive or whatever and you're not like oh my god I ate an edible four hours ago and I'm so high yeah. <laughs> who knows what's happening um you know so that's really cool too for people especially who are um experienced who want who are kind of curious and who want to just learn a little bit and dip their toe in and like again like you know they get it they've been to a party they've held something in their hand they've you know had a sip they put down they the, you know, when when you're at an event, you want something to put in your hand just to give your hand something to do. So it's like a very like innately human thing, I think, to like have an experience with beverages. And we're seeing some really cool products that are coming out that are pushing into new categories. Um, there's a, a THC infused cider called Mollus from Harmony Craft Beverages that I love. It's super dry, very bright and bubbly. Um, there's um, there's a, a new product also coming out from Warren Bobrow, a cannabis journalist who's got a line coming out called Klaus. And he has, gosh, 20 years, 30 years in um, the spirits uh, and alcohol industry behind yeah. him and has written a bunch of cocktail books. And he's going to bring this whole cocktail perspective to everything he's doing. And then Jamie Evans of the Herb Psalm is launching a sparkling canned rosé, which I think is just so cool and, you know, Making a, a non, because these all have to be non-alcoholic, first of all, legally, you cannot have alcohol. So making a non-alcoholic wine and then infusing it with cannabis is super challenging. Oh, yeah, and I was is. fortunate enough to, it's, it's hard work. And I was fortunate enough to sit in on some of the formulations with Jamie. And I think she's doing a beautiful job because she's able to connect the dots in the brain with wine. It smells like wine. It tastes like wine. It has this experience of wine, but it's cannabis. You know, so it's it's just, again, it's meeting the consumer where they are. If they're interested in wine, if they like wine, they might want to try a cannabis beverage. If you like a seltzer, you're going to like a seltzer. Yep, yep. And it always really should be, I always tell people when they're looking at products to experiment with, to start with a format that they enjoy. Because then you have that familiar format. You'll actually take advantage of it instead of like trying it once and sticking it in a drawer or a cupboard. I have to say, I was looking at uh, Jamie put up a a picture of a magnum of the new product, a hand painted bottle, and it was just beautiful. I'm I'm excited to see what it's it's like, what it what it turns out to be, because there's just there's so many interesting creative 
things in the market. And with Warren, he's just, I had him on the podcast, I think last year, where we were talking and he has so much experience. The beautiful thing is people with all this amazing experience now feel comfortable stepping into the cannabis landscape, lending their expertise and creating these amazing products. One of my favorite beverages actually is um, from Pure Beauty. Have you tried Little Strong Drink? No, I have not. So they did, it's, it's, a, it's a little teeny bottle. It kind of reminds me of like the Alice in Wonderland drink me bottle. And it's 100 milligrams for the bottle, but each capful is five milligrams. And it has Concord grape juice, ashwagandha, uh, and um, Himalayan, pink Himalayan salt in there. And then there's THC. And you just, we, we've we been doing the pandemic, our little pod here, because we have our, our friend lives on the same property we do. So we congregate in the yard. And I'll take a couple capfuls over some ice, add, you know, some sparkling water and a squeeze of lime. And it's just a really, it's it's nice to have things that, can cater to all tolerances because you know I have a higher tolerance than you know well not in the industry not my industry friends <laughs> my non-industry friends <laughs> so to be able to give yeah, them something I'm with you you know it's like you don't want to be like yeah I'm gonna take a whole can of this and you get like a thimble full <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it it is important to understand also because part of the challenges with beverages is that the the emulsion is very bitter. Um, So the the higher THC, sometimes they can have a little bit of a challenge Mm -hmm. flavor-wise. But, you know, people are coming up with ways to work around that and are coming up with great formulations that um, work with that flavor. Personally, I kind of like the taste of um, cannabis. I do too. Especially for some of these. I mean, I like to taste it, you know, if it's not too bitter, I think that's the key. You need to make sure that it's not too bitter and too astringent. But if you're using something that's like a live resin infusion where you do have like a strain specific, actual true to plant um, sort of note to it, I think that's very effective and works really well also with things that are um, uh, like a beer style. Um, So Syria has this uh, really cool IPA style non-alcoholic THC infused beer. And I feel like that flavor of cannabis leans into the beeriness and it makes something that actually tastes like an IPA. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, when you look at it, it's a, it, it's something that makes sense because hops, cannabis, same family, cannabacia. It's like, it, yeah. it just makes sense to have that. And there's been some great, great beer products. Valhalla did, uh, did some stuff with uh, Barrow Brothers, and they have an IPA, and they have a, I, they have another one. I can't remember what it is, but when I tried them, I was like, "Wow, this tastes like beer." And even some of the products, the earlier products that have come out that have been, you know, in the beer and wine category, even though they didn't necessarily meet like expectations for me of what it should taste like, because they def- definitely didn't taste like a wine or a beer. They were still pleasant. Like um, absolute extracts, when they they have their their hop infused beverages, like they're you know the high fi hops. Yeah, the high fi hops, and they're marketed as a beer, but to me, it tastes more like a really pleasant like grapefruit seltzer. Are you there? 
sorry, I lost you for a second. So I'm here now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was just saying that. Uh, uh, we were talking about hi fi hops. It was last I heard. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll just. <laughs> I was just saying hi fi hops was like. It didn't. It didn't have the. I was expecting more of a beer taste, and it didn't have that. But it did. Like I always described it to people as like almost like a grapefruit seltzer because it was still really pleasant and I liked the effects. They just hadn't gotten to like the hoppiness of a lot of the infused beers that we're seeing now. Yes, yeah, so I'm a big fan of that product actually, and I had the opportunity to um, meet with head brewer Jeremy Jeremy Marshall a couple of times, and I recently toured the Lagunitas um, facility with him, and they actually make that as part of a hop water, so that is not going through any of the fermentation that you need to make beer. Yeah. So the um, products that are trying to actually be beers, usually what they do is they go through a traditional beer making process and then they have to be de-alcoholized. And there are a few companies that do that. Bev Zero up in Santa Rosa is one of them. Um, and I've, I've had the chance to sit in on with some of their formulators and they're, they're so brilliant because it's, you know, once you take out the alcohol, you're not only taking away the inebriation, um, alcohol adds weight to the palate and it adds, you know, flavor to the drink, the overall experience that you consume. And obviously all the flavor of the process, a lot of it gets stripped out. So they have to basically rebuild it and then go through the infusion process. It's really fascinating how um, how the process to make those categories of beverages works. But yeah, the, the hops water is the base for the Hi-Fi Hops. And I think that that's actually a great product. Yeah. And I love that they have so many different um, offerings for, for doses because they have uh, a one-to-one. They have a 10 milligram, which, you know, as a higher dose person, I love. Um, and then they also, of course, have their non-infused hop water, which I've seen like at like Trader Joe's. So it's like that exact base that then gets infused, which is pretty cool. I I think that that's really cool, and I I really I like the product as well. It's it's one of those things where I feel like when we're talking to consumers when they're exploring it, it's just setting up the expectations for what they're going to get with flavor and dosage and how that's gonna how it might feel for them. Because of course, you know, we're all really different with how we metabolize it, but just having those options because you know back in the beginning of legalization when a lot of these products were coming out people were saying oh well who's going to want something that's just five milligrams and it's like well hey, hey a lot of people and actually a lot of people want things that are just two milligrams because like you said you know if you're in a social situation and normally you'd have a few beverages you don't want to just be nursing one thing you'd like to have something that's lighter perhaps that you can have a few of and actually make an afternoon or an evening of you know being social and enjoying beverages and i really absolutely fashionability yeah it's, it's all about yeah that, that that experience of sitting down relaxing you know on a sunday afternoon invite your neighbors over have some beers in the backyard okay same exact thing just swap in a cannabis beverage yeah that's it and i just i'm i just get so excited to see how it's changed so much and how we're looking at you know new ways around dosage I, i'm excited that you know some of the higher dosage products are coming coming into play as well because you know we definitely have consumers that need to have a little bit more THC to get the feel that they're looking for 
But having the lower dosage creates that accessibility and, and just a more social environment. I mean, you know. Absolutely. You, you have a little too much wonder, you'll fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I will say in the six years that I've been kind of the front of house person creating hospitality experiences for people with cannabis, people, for the most part, want microdose. Yep. They don't. They're, they don't want too much. They're scared. They're not sure. And that's what they want. That's what they want to start with, at least. Well, especially when you're in a public setting with a lot of other people, it's like you want to be sure that you can enjoy yourself, enjoy the flavor, and also not get yourself in an uncomfortable situation. You know, which Absolutely. I it's all about, you know, learning, learning your limits, personally. And um, people in general across the board are, are still trying to decipher the difference between CBD and THC. So, um, you know, we have to, to continue to reinforce, like, you know, well, actually, everyone's a little different. You might naturally have a metabolism that requires a higher dose of THC, um, which we know certainly exists. Right, right. And that's that's the thing. It's just making sure that we have products that can fit everybody's needs. And as we, you know, I would say conversation is normalization. It's like as we have more conversations and as people talk to one another about their experiences, you know, people figure out their sweet spots and what they enjoy and what they don't, what their the format is that they like to work with, or maybe several formats. And that's, I, I just think that creating, you know, savvy consumers by educating them not only helps us you know, as an industry evolve and come up with other interesting products to engage people in, but it also creates more sound policy because we have consumers that are actually advocating for what it is that they want. Absolutely. It's, it's always got to connect back to policy. And, you know, certainly there's so much in the broad umbrella of culinary cannabis and cannabis beverages, as we were talking about, that, that does relate to policy and, it's an interesting category. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a regulatory orphan if you're talking about, you know, people like myself who maybe host cannabis events. It's, it's, it's not an, an easy thing to do compliantly um, because there's not a great path toward that. But, um, you know, being able, being able to build opportunities that allow, you know, chefs and small operators um, to grow businesses across the country as we do have federal legalization looming, I think is going to be really important. Yeah. Well, and on that note, we, uh, the first time that we talked on the phone, we were having some conversations about the farm to table movement with, which a lot of people may not be aware of, but do you want to talk about that a little bit? About Crop to Kitchen and our advocacy there. Yeah, yeah. So Crop to Kitchen is an advocacy group that was started in 2018 by a group of people who are just really passionate about advocating for culinary cannabis as a broad category. And that includes expanding opportunities and um, sort of the ingredient list for cannabis edibles, you know, to allow for a more fresh and uh, products that resemble more closely food than candy. Um, Because right now, you know, you can't have fresh cheeses and dairy milks and meats and things like that that are maybe a more healthy option. You've got a lot of jellies and gummies and candies, which are great. We love those. There's definitely a place for that. But let's expand that umbrella a little bit. Um, And then certainly also on the beverage side, 
to create more opportunities for brands and businesses to, um, you know, have distribution and retail outlets. So, um, but really what our heart is and our ethos is about is supporting the chefs and the people who are doing this at the local level already, who are doing small dinners um, and helping give them a path to compliance that they can put in front of their regulators locally. Um, and, you know, a lot of that comes down to, and here in California, we've worked a lot on this already, is the future of on-site consumption. Um, I, I personally believe that on-site consumption and being able to do normalization through both restaurant-like experiences and just tasting with somebody who can actually teach you and can help you make a better informed decision. I think that that experience is what it's going to take to really move this industry forward and move consumer appreciation and understanding and awareness of this plant forward. So I think it's not only essential to approach that from a regulatory standpoint in favor of developing um, business opportunities for chefs to have cannabis restaurants or to have cannabis catering licenses or cannabis pop-up opportunities, um, but also to really allow uh, for the regulatory model to extend to um, all sorts of on-site consumption spaces because, you know, that category is very broad. And I think that there are a million different ways we can have really interesting businesses develop around on-site consumption models. So um, Crop to Kitchen is super passionate about all of those things. And we're always looking for people who want to get involved so you can always just reach out to me directly we are um, very much constantly trying to push that forward and hoping to at least get the conversation out there because I think it's a really funny thing that um, you know the culinary cannabis movement is this very sexy piece of the industry there's tv shows there's magazines there's books like people love talking about food and cannabis but there's no path to compliance for those business operators unless you have a lot of money and can start your own brand um, and <laughs> have the opportunities to do so. Or, you know, you can just do this sort of under the table thing. It can be done as compliantly as possible, but wouldn't it be nice if there was an opportunity for licensing? Yeah, that would be wonderful. And insurance? Yeah. Insurance? <laughs> That's the other thing. You can't have insurance. You know, you're you're doing these things with no insurance because there's no license. Right. Well, and insurance and cannabis is a whole other thing in itself. Like when I was teaching at City College San Francisco, you know, you have to have professional liability insurance to teach classes. And my first... It's a lot. It's, it's, it's super expensive. And my insurance carrier dropped me after a year, even though there was no cannabis in my classes. Nobody touched oh, cannabis. Wow. And that's that's one of the huge problems. But I think, too, when we're looking at, you know, the endeavors around like culinary cannabis and these events, we are having people who are who are stepping up and starting to get involved that may inspire, you know, people who are more mainstream to really look at it like we have Dominique Crenn has been doing work with you know Rose Rose Delights Rose LA Enrique Oliveras has been doing work with them too and then we just uh, Apothecarium we just did a collaboration a few of them with Philip Wolf um, with the Claremont which is owned by the Fairmont Corporation in Berkeley here where they were having dinners that were not infused but they were accompanied by cannabis tastings and when you've got you know someone with a big footprint like the Fairmont starting to get involved you start realizing things are changing 
Absolutely. The the writing is on the wall, and um, I think it's amazing that institutions like that are, are moving forward with this. And, you know, it is driven by by the, the talented and innovative people who are just doing it, you know? Um, I think the the whole series that Rose Delights has put together with their chef-driven concept and what they're now doing with their sort of closed-loop ecosystem of cultivating everything themselves is so interesting, and it's so smart. And, um, you know, again, that's the type of product that speaks to people who care about those things already. So, um, you know, there are people who, who love who are foodies, who love great food, who love great chefs, who have gardens, who are seasonally focused in their day-to-day lives. So, you know, let's, let's give them a place to experience this. Let's give them a product that supports that experience. Um, and it, it's cool to see that there are those opportunities popping up. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to see what Nathan is doing with all that, because even um, they had one of their Rose Delights, I think it's the singles, that have uh, Grenache grape juice in it, and that actually is coming from the Couturier's vineyards. Cool. Isn't that cool? I, I love just, that. I, I just love That's that. That's so cool. Um, I, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I want to ask you before we close out, like, in the what are things you're excited about in the future? What should we be looking out for? Oh, I have so much. <laughs> I, I know that's like the vaguest answer ever, but obviously <laughs> the relaunch of <laughs> it's like, yeah, lots of things, guys, trust me. Um, but the, the relaunch of the Clever Root is kind of a big one that's on my immediate horizon. Very excited to share that with you guys. If anyone wants to, you know, find out how you can be a part of that, support it, whatever, please do reach out. There will be a lot of um, really cool things happening there that I'll be sharing soon. Um, and then also, um, you know, just continuing all of the work that I've been doing with Altered Plates. We're really these days focused on on trying to have these exact types of conversations, consulting with large-scale hospitality operators to help them understand cannabis and vice versa for cannabis operators to understand um, hospitality because, uh, you know, hospitality is more nuanced than I think many people think. And uh, there is a lot of room in general for this industry to improve its messaging and its approach to uh, educating the consumer through hospitality-led experiences. So I have a lot to say about that, and you'll be hearing more from me about that as always. And um, yeah, you know, just, just lots of projects coming up on the horizon um, I'm, I'm always kind of working on something different and new and it's, it's kind of got my brain scrambled because I'm working on like a recipe right now for Halloween and Valentine's day. So it's like everything <laughs> in between and like, and all sorts of other projects. So I, I'm a little bit all over the, uh, the map of time and space right now, but there's a lot of really fun stuff coming and I'm just excited to share more. I'm excited to continue the conversation. And for those who want to reach out to you or follow you on social media, how do they do that? So you can find me on Instagram at smoke sip saver, S-A-V-O-R. Um, and you can email me at smoke sip saver at gmail.com or you can just DM me. Um, that's probably the best. And then the clever route you can find on Instagram at the Clever Root, and I definitely head over to theclevervoot.com 
to sign up for the mailing list because we'll be dropping a lot of cool info there and you'll want to uh, be in the loop about all of the launch stuff we have coming next year. So definitely please check those things out. And from there, you'll just be in the loop on all the other cool things I'm working on for 2022. Um, and again, they're all just fun culinary cannabis stuff. So anything in that vein, I've got a lot of cool things coming. I love it. I love it. I love, I love seeing what you come up with. And for those of you out there who want to follow Planted, remember that we are two times a month and we are Planted with Sarah on Twitter and Instagram. We are Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook. Our website is www.plantedwithsarah.com. You can also find us on our parent network straight out of Chicago, Radio Misfits Network. You can listen to us on Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and tune in anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Planted is there. Um, and you know, you can reach out to us through any of those social media contacts as well. Rachel, thank you. Thank you for just being an awesome, creative person who it just it just makes me so happy to meet wonderful women like you in the space and be able to connect and talk and and just geek out. So thank you. <laughs> Are you still there? For hours. <laughs> what was supposed to be a short call because we are kindred spirits. And thank you for everything and the kind words and uh, for your time. And yeah, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everybody out there for... <laughs> I, I don't know if we'll have all of them, but we had a little bit of network issues this morning. Um, you know. Life in the time of Corona. We roll with things. So, <laughs> so everyone out there, until next oh, time, boy. stay safe. Yeah, so it's a wild world out there. And what we can do to make the world a better place is be good to each other. So stay safe, stay curious. Until next time, take care. <laughs>